from the UK, broadcasting around the world. Around the world. You're listening to the Mike Drop Club, hosted by Douglas Hamandiche. Message received. Message received. You do not need to know what you need. What you need. Just engage with the podcast feed. Just engage with the podcast feed. Providing weekly insights into cool stuff we've read, saw, did, or heard about what made us say, wow, eureka, damn, nothing is off limits. If it motivates and inspires you to reach your goals, then it shall be discussed. Featuring guest interviews from high performers and people of influence and weekly awards for the best mic drop moment. This podcast is guaranteed to leave you pumped up for the week ahead. Don't just live life, make life boom. Hi everybody, it's Douglas Hamadiche with another show for the Mic Drop Club. Today, I'm fortunate enough to have Tracy Page with me. She's a very close friend of mine and some of you would have noticed on my other channel on YouTube for motivation, the 140 rule. She was the lady that kindly designed my mannequin. This mannequin was focused around mental health. It had all words inscribed over it from hope, opportunity, control, well-being, strength, recovery, all these words that would inspire you, that would actually get you started to think about um, the words you use in your daily life that can help you overcome certain feelings that you're going through in life. Okay. So she's the one that designed that mannequin. I'm going to put some more information about that. If you want to get in touch with her directly in the show notes, but this session today is all about raising awareness. It's fast approaching Christmas um, and it's getting colder. It's getting dark outside. Yes, we know there's an election that's looming. Okay. But this is a time of year when people who are sensitive or are prone to mood fluctuations really have a difficult time. Okay, so this is about us um, open up the conversation in terms of particularly looking at young people right now, whereby there's a lot of pressure on them to conform, a lot of pressure on them to be that which they might not feel they are inside. There's a lot of confusion. It's a space whereby parents particularly feel vulnerable in, in the sense of not being able to support them. Okay. So as we know with depression and other illnesses, even a good environment, a happy environment can trigger off feelings of being very down, down and out, because that feeds into somebody's um, inner core whereby they say, look, everyone else is celebrating, but look at me. Why am I so upset? So sometimes uh, as a parent, you might see your child um, experiencing certain emotions that are incongruent to the environment they're in. Everyone's celebrating and your child now is low. So what signs, what things can we look out for in young people and what sort of support is out there to support parents who are looking after children or even young adults? Yeah, it's not, not necessarily just children who are going through mental mental illness. Um, I'm so glad living in the United Kingdom, the, the whole debate around mental health Awareness is big. You know, one in four of us, we go through some mental health challenges throughout our lifetime. But when we are going through that, what support is out there? What happens? So this is a frank conversation. This is can be brutal in times. Um, Tracy is one of those types of people that tells it as it is. So I'm really lucky to have her 
dedicating a few minutes of her time to talk, talk to us in terms of her own experiences. So first of all, that was a very long introduction, but I believe that Tracy deserves a good introduction. Okay, so how are you doing, Tracy? I'm doing okay. A bit nervous, but okay. A bit, bit, bit nervous. Don't be nervous. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. How's your week been? Busy. Busy. Yeah. How do you, do you prefer things when they're busy and manic, or do you prefer things when they're a bit more organised and no, controlled? I think I work better under stress. I think when I'm under stress, my adrenaline goes, and I'm someone that works works yeah. better if I'm not stressed and relaxed. I become a little bit complacent. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. So again, stress is ordained for everybody. It's what we do with that stress. Mm-hmm. Some levels of stress we know can be toxic yeah. for us literally and some stresses are productive yeah. you know I certainly I don't wake up until I feel that oh my god that urge that quickening that if I don't get up now I'm going to be late if yeah. I don't get that I don't move so stress we do recognize is something that we all need to master but again thank you for the mannequin you're very welcome what was the inspiration behind the mannequin and just talk through some of the processes that you did to to produce that mannequin well, I'd gone through an issue with my, my own daughter uh, who we didn't, wasn't aware she had mental health is- issues. Um, I'm a great believer in pull yourself together, give yourself a kick up the backside. Mm-hmm. You've got everything to live for until um, one day we got a phone call and we drove from Slough to Essex, 69 miles around the M25. Wow to answer the door and I knew something was wrong and she'd actually taken 13 diazepam and she was actually in the care of my three-year-old granddaughter. And with that, as a parent, I had to stay focused. I had to stay in control. Um, But I also had a three-year-old granddaughter. So my partner took her to the seaside, bought her ice creams, took her to the sweet shop, toy shop. So she wasn't aware what was going on. And I took my daughter straight to Southend Hospital that have a unit there where you, I can't remember what it's called, but it's somewhere where you don't have to sit in A&E. It's like, especially for people with mental health. Okay, that's good. That's Um, good. I can't remember what it's called. And with that, she was diagnosed, or she was assessed by a mental health Yeah, professional. So that would be somebody like a liaison psychiatrist. Yeah nurse or something like that yeah and then from that um she was sectioned and that was oh I'm gonna get all emotional now um that was really hard so we had two options we had to either wait for an ambulance to take her Mm -hmm. or as parent as a parent I wanted to take her myself so that meant that we then dropped my granddaughter off to my her great great grandparents, so it had a, a knock on effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and my um, my partner and I both took her to um, the the place where she was sectioned, which was in Basildon, um, where she was sort of put in there. And, and what I found really awful, and I think that where maybe society let her down, and you know, the only thing I really understand with mental health is one flew over the cuckoo nest. Yeah, yeah. But actually. It was like that because when we went in there, there was obviously a young girl, my daughter, who's my child, my baby, who was crying out for help and I wasn't aware that she had issues. And the first thing you have to do is she has to remove everything that could harm herself from laces. You know, there's no sort of toiletries you could take. It was actually like um, taking her to prison 
And to be left there was really um, quite upsetting for me, let alone for herself. Um, I think she was in there for 10 days. 10 days. Yeah. And for that 10 days being there, um, you know, you, you, you couldn't have easy access to her. You, she was confined. I mean, when we went to visit her one day, they weren't allowed in their rooms on their own um, because of fear of being isolated. So they had to mingle. But all the other people that there, you had people there with real mental health issues, um, drug addiction. Now, now, was that the first time you'd been exposed to mental health? Hundred percent. First time. So, so as as you're driving and you 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 got you received the call, um, what sort of thoughts and what sort of feelings were you having at the time when we was driving to my daughter's, or once we realised she'd yeah. taken an overdose? Yeah, but before and after. So the first thing when I phoned her that day, I knew something was wrong by her tone. Okay. Um. What it was at the time, Amelia was really hard work. But in fairness, I don't think the three-year-old was hard work. I think it was my daughter not really being able to cope on her own mm-hmm. with um, something so demanding. So we just said, put a film on. We'll get there as quick as we can. And obviously, M25, you've got, you know, it took two and a half hours to to get there. Yeah. Um, on hindsight, maybe what I should have done is phoned my parents who only lived two miles away to have gone there. But then I think Jerry Ann wouldn't have taken the um, the tablets. So therefore we'd have, it would have been sort of um, protected, covered over in a sense. Sure. It sure. had to get to that point at the lowest, lowest point for us to all accept that. Sure. To then for her to start getting better. Sure. So there are quite a few um, salient points that you mentioned there. And, you know, to anyone that is um, going through what you're going through and anybody that has, um, is not sure as to how do you assess and see the signs? Because I guess when you're driving for that, that drive and you don't know what's happening, your mind is racing. Yeah. There, there are a lot, a lot of things calculated in your mind and the stigma is signed to mental health as well. You know, what are your views in terms of when you when you saw your daughter in that condition? And, and I don't want you to take you right back back to that mm-hmm. place. I know how painful that those thoughts must be for you, um, reliving them. But just in terms of like the issues that you now have to deal with mm-hmm. because you're there now. Yeah. For example, I'm not too sure. What's your views around medication? Are you are you a type of person that when you get a headache, for example, you're quick to take a tablet? Or are you anti-tablet? So me, I'm anti-tablet. I have to be in a lot of pain. Exactly. So how was it for you then to to reconcile that and to come so that you can then support your daughter to now take tablets? Something that you know yourself, you're not really a fan of. So at the time when that happened, I was really angry with her. Mm-hmm. Really, really angry. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I'm a great believer life's for living. Sure. Nothing could be that bad. Yeah. I didn't really fully understand how mental health is if I've always had in my mind you need to pull yourself together woman and that's how I've always dealt with things this has been a um maybe an open book for me it's been a real learning thing and and an acceptance that everyone's different um so initially I was really angry then I went shocked and then I went I felt guilty because 
if I'm really honest and I think back from my daughter as being a child, I think it's always been there. Jerry Ann as a child was always someone that played on her own. And for me as a parent, she was perfect. She was my insignificant child. And when I mean that, I don't mean that she was insignificant to me. She she liked being on her own. If we was at the seaside, she would always be making a sandcastle by herself. She played with her dollies by herself. Mm. Um, and I think she always lived in her older sister's shadows. So therefore, because she was quiet, she got ignored but she wasn't ignored but she she wasn't high maintenance so therefore I didn't recognize or see anything that was there because she always kept things to herself and quiet and just got on with it so there was a lot of um guilt guilt. yeah so you're reflecting a lot Mm. in terms of, of of how she was as a child and trying piece to piece Piece, piece together. Where did it come from? Yeah. What caused it? Why did it happen? Exactly, exa- exactly. So um, I'm not too sure if you got any answers to that. I think really I had to, I think it was an, ex- I think the biggest thing is an acceptance. I can't change what's happened. I've just got to accept it's happened. And I, I, I spent a lot of time on the internet, um, mind, um, Jerry and, um, you know, sh- I took on board everything she said. So instead of her doing it on her own, I, I read quite a bit and and I'm a talker. So sure. by being open with other people and not being embarrassed at the fact that my daughter, because there's that stigma like, you know, yeah. oh, you're mad or your daughter got a section, you know, and, and I'm quite open on that. So I don't keep things Sure. Close to rap. Yeah, and for, for those of you who are listening to this show um, outside of the UK, when Tracy is talking about sectioning, um, she's referring to um, as young somebody being put under the care of the Mental Health Act, okay, of which there are various sections, for example, Section 2, which would be for um, assessment period of time, and there might be for up to 28 days, okay? Then you've got Section 3, which is for treatment now, and that's for three months and moving forward, okay? So... Your, your liberties are taken away mm-hmm. from you in that moment when you're sectioned. So there's a lot of stigma around that. Your autonomy um, is gone. Okay. So you're to the, to the person being sectioned, they're at the mercy of mental health services. Yeah. So at that time they feel very, very vulnerable and they're just crying out for some sort of support. And maybe they're not able to communicate things as, as well as they would like to. In terms of this, the stigma um, as, as, the, as you, the parent, seeing your child going through that, there's also the dynamic of the child experiencing the stigma themselves because there's a, there would have been a denial stage up until the crisis actually mm-hmm. hanged, actually um, t- took effect, as it were. Um, th- does your daughter talk about how she was feeling before and why, why she kept it hidden if that's what happened? Not then, mm-hmm. but does now. Okay. Um, you know, in the, I would say... It's been five years now. Amelia was three. Amelia's eight now. Obviously, from being sectioned, um, I had to take care of Amelia. Social services were involved because if you're going to take 13 diazepam in the care of a young child, you're putting that child at risk. And, And as a grandparent, I took that seriously because then I had the, um, in my mindset, my priority wasn't my daughter. My priority was my granddaughter, I had both. Who did I put first? There was a three-year-old that needed to be put 
above my daughter. Sure. Because my daughter was, you know, in her late 20s, you know, nearly 30. So, you know, she was an adult, but Amelia needed someone of sound mind that had to work with the establishment. Um, when she was in that institution, that place, I mean, that in itself, you know, I sometimes think it wasn't really the right place because I know within the NHS, everyone's strapped, you know, but when you go and visit and you find your daughter sitting in the corridor um, on her own with lots of people from male and female, um, violent and non-violent, you know, people with addictions, you, you just think, wow, it, it, it wasn't necessarily the right place for her to be. Yeah. And, and, and for yourself, who now is exposed to mm. that world, it must have been terrifying. I've worked in that, that field for the last 15 years. Mm. And I can tell you, um, Tracy alluded to the film One Flew Over the Cooker's Nest. This film came out in the 70s. Um, it's a film starring um, Michael Douglas, I think. No, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, directed by Michael Douglas. Yeah. I think, yeah. or something like that anyway. But anyway, it was an um, Oscar-winning performance. Yeah, there was a Nurse Ratchet in there. And in this place, there was definitely a Nurse Ratchet, someone that was so hardened to the people's needs. Yes, yes. Because they had a job to do and, and they followed process and maybe that's how you need to do it because you have to be firm and you have to, but there was a lack of emotion. Yeah. And, 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 and again, in terms of that film, many of the, although that film was in the seventies, what happened to your daughter was probably 40 years after that film was yeah. recorded. But many of those practices, as you're talking about, Mr. Um, Nurse Ratchet yeah. still take place to this very day. Nurses are still banging on doors, screaming yeah. medication it's yeah. still very much seen as um, a place whereby you get dehumanized, you get um, you lose all your ability to be um, an individual. Yeah. For example, before you're brought into hospital, you're fully autonomous in terms of whether or not you want to take your medication and the time which you take the medication. Yeah. But then once you're now an inpatient, particularly if you're under section, you lose that ability to. It's actually be like a punishment. It's actually a punishment for being ill. And, and I've never thought about that until we're having this mm. conversation now. Mm. Um, it was like, she's really ill. She must have been ill to have done that. Yeah. Um, so let's put her in a jail. And that's that's exactly yeah. what it was like. Yeah, and it's, it's very powerful, that, that, that um, revelation. Because again, how did she come off the section? How did she come off? So after, um, I think she was in there for about 10 days mm. and she was assessed. At the time, they thought she had um, bipolar Mm -hmm. um, she was uh, allowed home. Um, obviously, I was there for her and so was my partner, who was great. My partner's a retired policeman, so he, he fully understood. It wasn't so much as a shock to him to be in them sort of places. Mm -hmm. um, we worked with social services. It took a long while to for her to be diagnosed as such properly and get the proper care. But what I had to do is I had to move her from Southend to be nearer me in Berkshire because I needed her to be f four miles away, yeah. not 69 miles away. Sure, sure. And it was when we did the move, whether yet again it's postcode lottery, I don't know. We had a far better social work network, mental health network, that things seemed to fall into place. A school 
that um, Amelia went to, because by this time she's four, she's in reception year, um, a school that took it seriously, that was part of um, the, you used to sort of do monthly assessments with social services, where the school in Southend seemed to, um, I like the word you said, demonised. It was like, oh, that mum's, that mum's not right in the head. Yeah, yeah. So to speak. Yeah. And and that's where the change. We did have one setback. Um, we moved Jerry Ann into a rented accommodation with a two-year lease. Landlord wanted to sell the property, which resulted in her having been made homeless to be put in a homeless accommodation just prior to Christmas that tipped her over the edge because they put her and my daughter, my granddaughter in a one bedroom apartment. They had to give up their animals. Um, it resulted in her running away one day, police being involved yet again, taken seriously. Yeah. But yet again, from that she got housed and, and I see things within sort of digressing when she got housed into a housing association, even when you've got someone with mental health um, that's not working, that's on housing benefit, even something like that whereby I think your the housing benefit pay in arrears, the housing association has to be paid in advance. So therefore, someone with mental health is always behind in their rent when they're not. Exactly. And that causes real Real issues. Yeah, yeah. And we, we're seeing that a lot, particularly with the new universal credit, mm. whereby um, the, by the time the benefits are paid out, they're, they're out of sync, you know, um, and that puts a lot of pressure on people. So people that don't have a mental health problem can then get a mental health problem because now they're either getting threatened to be kicked out of their accommodation. And remember, food, clothing and shelter, these are the foundations of, of what makes you who you are. So when you do feel vulnerable and you don't have those things in place, it's no wonder that people will be sicker for longer. So one of the things it highlighted to me is I've never really understood how people end up homeless. Yeah. But if Jerry ann hadn't have had me as a parent who happens to work full time, that takes my responsibility as a parent seriously, no matter how old they are. Um, if she hadn't have had Amelia... She quite possibly, well, she would have been on the streets because at that particular time, for Jerry ann to be housed in a homeless accommodation was only because she had a child. child. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's, that's frightening. That is very frightening. And again, I salute you for being the soldier that you are. Thank you. The strong mother that you are, the good friend that you are. And um, I'm sure your daughter does appreciate everything that you're doing because without that support mechanism, you know, the chances of success are greatly diminished. And who was looking out for your needs? They say that now you're now a mother and a carer, mm -hmm. effectively. Mm -hmm. You're caring needs. Who was looking out for your caring needs? Did you feel that you were getting the right support from social services in terms of what you need to have to support your daughter more effectively? Um, no, but for me and my own mental well-being, I'm going to go back even further. So as you know, Douglas, um, at the age of 20, I became a widow. I'd been married seven months, husband died of a brain hemorrhage. 
And and that was a real pivotal of my life. It could have sent me in a spiral, but I remember that day thinking, oh, my God, if that can happen to someone who's 22, <gasps> life's for living. Yeah. And by having that, the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life was the best thing, if that makes sense. You know, of course I didn't want my husband to die, but he did, and I couldn't change it. So I don't do grey. I do black, I do white. My brain works is books and chapters and how I work is when something happens and it's finished, the book's closed, it's put on the shelf and then I open another one. Whether that's right, whether that's wrong, that's how I deal with it. So therefore when Paul died, that's made me the strong person I am. So when it comes to actually relying on people, looking for help, that's made me a really tough resilient person because I was able to use that experience all those years ago um, for a positive outcome but not everybody's able to to do that so for me no I didn't get any support Um, we did it by ourselves but that's because obviously I'm stronger than lots of people yeah sure sure enough and I guess and we all have our own coping strategies Mm -hmm. that make us resilient and um, your your own background in terms of losing your husband at such a young age, you're you are forced to go through the grieving process very quickly. Yeah. Whereby, um, you know, the typical Kubler Ross this is a, again a bit technical, but the Kubler Ross model for grief, whereby you got anger, you got depression, you got um, bargaining, all these stages until you get to what's called acceptance. Some people have the ability to go through all those ranges of emotions very quickly. They put the book on the shelf, then go on. Some people can be arrested, such mm-hmm. as you can be arrested on the bargaining station and forever you shall be bargaining, wishing that your mm-hmm. husband will be coming back. You might get on the stage for anger and you'll be stuck on anger all the time. You could be in denial as well. There's, there's so many things that you have to go through and process. Um, in terms of um, your ability to park things and move on to the next chapter, is that also supported by your own belief system in terms of um, the afterlife, in terms of your own values and principles, does that feed into that as well? Or is it more a reaction to what's happened to you that's made you? I, I think it's more of a coping are. mechanism. So everything that's happened in my life, mm-hmm. and there's been lots, um, that's how I cope. So, you know, my partner, my husband, you know, he said many years ago, if we was to ever split up, would we stay friends? And I went, oh, no. And he said, well, why not? And I said, because there's two things in my book. We're either not getting on Mm. and we're really falling out of love. And for me to survive, it would be book closed, move on. Mm -hmm. Or you've really done something that's broke my heart and it's really upset me and devastated me. And for me to cope, the book needs to close for me to move on. Now, I'm not saying that's the right way, but that's my way. Exactly. I think everybody has to be able to find their own way. Um, you talk, you, you said that you like talking, you're yeah. a talker. Do you feel that talking helped you? Absolutely. hundred percent. I think I must have, but when I became a widow, I must have bored people senseless. Um, some of them things that you've just said about the anger and acceptance, you know, I can remember in the early days, reading things about, or oh, a young child had just died and I'd go, oh yeah, so what? So I, I can recognise all those stages. But the one thing that I did is I spoke about it. And you know, Douglas, some of the things I've gone through, I think by being open and talking about it, 
it's it's a release. Most it's definitely. a way that you, because if you don't, you would, whether I should say this or not, you would go mad. You would drive yourself crazy. You have to have someone or something to share with and, and, and be open and transparent and, and it makes it all a little bit easier. Yeah, I think so. And it makes you more human. And I know for some people who are guarded and they're closed, um, that feeling, they sometimes describe it as feeling naked and exposed. And But ultimately, um, once you're able to express and channel some of these thoughts that are not clearly formulated in your head and bounce them off other people, of like mind along the round, as long as you share with the right people, if you share things to any Tom, Dick and Harry, yeah, you're going to get questionable results. Mm-hmm. But I guess finding the right people that you can have that heart to heart, have a cup of tea, go through that therapeutic process of talking through, through your challenges and seeing what comes out of it. Cause sometimes you need to see things from different perspectives, mm-hmm. from different ethnicities, from different ages, from different backgrounds, whatever the case would be for you to get that more holistic type of view terms of what you're going through and you evaluate it and I, I mean I can remember having a conversation with you the beginning of the year when my dad passed away and um, you know suddenly and I had a dilemma of the funeral and what should I do and should I be going back to the house with my sisters and doing the thing because society says I need to do that mm-hmm. or my dad's dead just go there and do what um, um, and I I spoke to you about yes, that and you yes, gave me you know you're a your views. Mm -hmm. And I went away and I evaluated it. And then at the end of the day, the decision I made was the right decision for me with living with no regrets. So not just with mental health or with issues you have in life, with work, with everything, you know, sometimes people say things to me and instead of me thinking, Oh, how dare they, how dare they say that? I know my job. You take it on board and you go, hmm, okay. Or you might receive an email and you think, oh, I like the way that's worded. I'll save that because I'll possibly use that again. And and every day we're learning and every day your mind has to be open to, to new things. Exactly. And I like the word, your mind has to be open. And that, that I had done another show a couple of weeks back about being radically open-minded. And I think when you have a loved one that has gone through or is currently going through mental crisis, you're forced to be open-minded. You're forced because at that particular moment, all your hopes, all your wishes and goals for that young one are dashed out the window. If I'd have stayed the same Mm -hmm. as, oh, for goodness sake, pull yourself together, woman. You've got a three-year-old child. You've got everything to live for. What could be wrong? I would have lost my daughter. I had to accept what she was saying, how she was feeling, and how that was going to move on. Here we are now. Oh, my goodness. She she mentors me. She says to me, you know, she is a totally transformation. But if I hadn't have opened up and accepted what she was going through, I would have lost her. Because what's the point of her having a mother in her life that doesn't accept how she is, who she is? Because this the condition she's got, they've diagnosed now it's a... Uh, it's personality disorder syndrome. Don't fully understand, but that's what it is. So therefore, it's um, not bipolar. It's complicated. It's complicated. So there's no sort of trigger. One day she can be, or she can just twitch. She can just switch from one to the other. But I accept that. I mean, when I married my husband two years ago, 
So it's been quite a traumatic past couple of years. I lost my mum in 2017. Jerry ann was doing well, but after the funeral, she then went backwards and for five months, she didn't speak to us at all. Um, she didn't come to my wedding. She didn't see me over Christmas. And that really hurt because I hadn't done anything. I'd not only lost my mum, but it felt like I'd lost my daughter. Yeah. But in the new year, she came out the same way she went in. So what I have to do is not beat myself up. It's not something I've done wrong. And it's that word again, it's accepting. Yeah, I think, yeah, and I'm gonna, we're going to keep on on this show. The theme of this show should be acceptance because that's one of the hard things a parent has to reconcile yeah. with, accepting. Yeah. But as Tracy is, is de- describing, without acceptance, you cannot, you cannot even acknowledge and we all know what it's like to not be acknowledged. You go into a room or into a party and nobody looks at you, nobody acknowledges you there. How do you feel? You get upset and you want to leave because nobody even knows you're there. You feel inferior. It's a bit like bullying, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. So acceptance is at the crux of it. You have to accept. And if you need support in accepting, you need to seek out mind, other, other mental health services in your area whereby you can talk through what's happening because once you've acknowledged, you can have a discussion with your loved one that's going through the mental health process, mental health problem, challenge, and see what it's like from their vantage point. And that discussion will take you to the weirdest places, sometimes the most wonderful places of enlightenment in terms of, I didn't know when I see this, when you see that, you're, you're describing something that I'm not seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, they can only take you on that journey with them when they know that you've acknowledged them when they know that you've accepted them. And this goes on, this goes over, not just mental health, on anything. You could have a child that is now um, demonstrating um, preferences for um, same-sex relationships, whatever the case may be, and that might not be aligned to your own cultural background. But for you to understand your child, you're going to have to accept that. And you're going to have to acknowledge that and work with them and discuss how they're feeling around those things. If you don't, you just, you'll potentially lose your child forever, regardless. So I salute you again, you. Tracy. Um, there were lots of um, good nuggets, pearls of wisdom that anyone that is supporting somebody going through mental health illness can, can latch onto. But if you could, um, if you could um, give advice, a couple of pieces of advice for anyone from your own point of view, that's gone through what you've gone through. What advice would you give? So advice as a parent, if there's a child. As a parent. Do you know what? You you need to listen. Open up your mind. Um, I'm quite stubborn and it took a long while for me to do that. Um, but open up your mind and it will all fall into a natural place. Have a little bit of faith. Don't don't give don't give up. Uh, be there behind, be there to help. I mean, there's been times when I've been with my daughter and she's been, you know, anybody else would have walked out and washed their hands of them. But I couldn't do that. So in a sense, sometimes it felt like I was being beaten up and I've had lots of tears. But, you know, here we are now. And sometimes Jerry Ann's my parent because I can phone her and go, oh, so-and-so and it's working, oh, my dad died and blah, 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 blah. And she gives me such words of wisdom because what she's done is she's removed any negativity. 
she knows she can't cope with negativity. She can't cope with people that are putting that on her. So therefore she's removed herself. So when she's found her coping mechanisms and with that, there's peace, there's calm. We may have a setback, but then we've, I'm prepared for that now because I know what it is. And I also know if there is a setback where we go a few months of her not speaking. It's okay. It's okay. She's going to come out of it in the end. Sure. That's brilliant. And do you, anything around hope? Do, do you know what? Hope. Hope is the same as faith. It's being sure of something you can't see. Correct. Um, so, you know, I've, I've got hope in you, in everyone. So everybody needs that hope, that faith, and not faith just in a religious God. Faith in mankind, faith in your partner, faith in your work colleagues, faith because, you know, that that's that's you've everyone seems to have a bigger family. I've probably got more family and work than I've actually got in family, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Spend a lot of time at work. Yeah. <laughs> more than home. <laughs> Yeah, so um, no, faith is faith is is massive, and um, I can wrap that around a sentence that my mom told me. Sometimes in life, in fact, all the time, you need to believe in the power of belief. Mm-hmm. And as 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 a mental health professional, um, when people are going through that crisis, no matter what background they have, my primary job is to instill hope, hope in their parents, hope in the individual, because once hope is gone, they're completely at the mercy of just the medication. And that's not the way you want to go forward. You know, believe in, in just belief. Yeah. Forget all the um, nuances of what that could entail, the different types of, say, gods and all that kind of stuff. Forget all of that. Just believing in belief itself is enough for you to empower somebody that they can recover. But and- that word you've just given me, I'd forgotten about, Jerry Ann's turning point was faith. She actually initially turned to God. She joined a, a small group um, within her local area where she lives. She now doesn't need, feel the need to go there every Sunday, but she's made a support network of really close friends. So by having that, I suppose, all, so all that group of people that were together all had the same belief, hope, and faith. Yes. And by that, that is what Jerry Ann needed. Yeah. And from that, she's evolved and she's used that, that she doesn't need to go to that church every Sunday, but she does pray. She does have her faith. She does have her belief and she's got a really strong network. So if I'm not there, I'm quite happy to go away on holiday without thinking, how will she be with me not being there? And sure. she's got that that group. Sure. And I, I like the way you described it earlier. I just made a couple of notes here. In terms of your your daughter now understands what's not helpful for her, yeah. like negativity and all of that kind of stuff. When she was sectioned and became an inpatient, her, her rights and liberties, a lot of them were taken away mm-hmm. from her. Um, now she's now focused on her own strengths. Absolutely. Okay. So can you give me some examples whereby she now is being more assertive and um, being more in control of her own destiny? So where she's in more control, she's now got a beautiful home. She's had a second baby. 
who's absolutely divine. I've seen her. She's gorgeous. She she goes out with a couple of the ladies that she's met from the church on a Sunday afternoon. They'll go out for for lunch. Jerry Ann's always been an isolated, lonely person. Um, when she first moved to the area, you could understand why people wouldn't talk to her in a sense because she'd walk to the school, she'd have a anorak on with a hood over her face, you know, she had crazy colour hair, and that was like being um, like an animal, really. That was a back off, back off, don't talk yeah. to me. But now she's gone back to being naturally blonde, she shows her face, she's beautiful, and with all of that she's joined a parenting group, she goes to mother and toddler, she's, and she's got a couple of neighbours that have got um, health issues and she's the one there that's now supporting, supporting them. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So no, so that, that, that's brilliant. That's what we mean by recovery. When you're a parent and you see your loved one go through crisis, you feel the loss because you might have had hopes and aspirations for your child to become what you want them to be. But the illness has hit them and now you've got to reevaluate your own wishes for your child. And your child, more importantly, has to um, readdress what's important for them because their goals now might have shifted mm -hmm. left or right, you see. So it's accepting that what you'd wish for might not ever manifest like that. But that word you've just said, acceptance. Mm -hmm. You know, you could see people, and, and I know a couple of people that probably haven't accepted who they are. Yeah. Um, and so therefore you can see that they can be troubled. And so therefore everything in life, you know, it is what it is. You can't change it. You just have to accept it. It hurts, but you have to deal with that. Sure. That hurt. Sure, sure. So... Uh, <laughs> We could talk all oh, day. This be about the longest this. podcast ever. No, Sorry, not. guys. No, it's not. No, it's not. If you if you really have engaged with this conversation and you know somebody that is going through um, what Tracy has been talking about on the, on this show, um, please forward on the the podcast to them. Instill some hope. Allow them to express how they're feeling. Listen. You know, when listening, listening is one of those things that. I would say the English don't do quite well because we like noise. We like repetition of words vibrating the airwaves. But when you listen to somebody, you've got to be quiet. You know, it's like 80-20. 80-20. If you're a good listener, you only talk about 20% of the time. 80% of the time you're listening. But too many times you want to dip in and, and say our piece and that's giving our advice. Mm -hmm. You know, and we've got to be conscious and very courageous and aware of the fact that when someone's going through mental health, giving too much advice, particularly when there's no consent, can be extremely damaging for the individual. You know, we should always try to ask them for their consent first. For example, say, do you mind if I give you my opinion? Because that's what it is, because they're the ones that are experiencing the phenomenon. They're the ones that are going through that so crisis. So that's what I did in the beginning. Yeah. In the beginning, being that stiff upper lip, pull yourself yeah. together. I was putting my opinion on my daughter saying, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. You don't hear voices. Get over it. Yeah. But then when I listened then I, and accepted, I could help. And, and by helping... The help has just really been to be there and to not give up. 
Tracy, you are a beautiful, a beautiful soul. And thank you very much for sharing your time. It's dark here now. I know you need to get on. So thank you very much and catch you guys on the next show. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out micdropclub.com and get the show notes and useful links. Subscribe to the podcast. Don't just live life, make life boom.